Today on Point 01, Aaron Cohns is down with Dan Myers, founder and CEO of Flare Energy. Flare is a manufacturer of smart vent technology that efficiently and sustainably distributes heating and cooling throughout the home, providing consumers the opportunity to reduce utility bills as well as reduce their carbon footprint. Founded using 3D printers in the Chicago Public Library, Flare has grown from the ground up to become one of the leading smart home temperature solutions. Without further ado, here's Aaron and Dan. Uh, hi, everybody. It's Aaron Cohen again with the Point 01 podcast. And I'm here with Dan Myers, who's the founder, co-founder and chief executive uh, of a really interesting company called Flare, which, as he and I were just talking about before we started, is a smart cooling company, but not a cold chain company, which makes Therma and Flare first cousins, as you said. I don't think it's like a once removed kind of deal. You know, I feel like we're at least in the extended nuclear family. So, Dan, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think we're all sort of working on the same thing is how do we heat and cool things uh, efficiently and effectively? So uh, very similar. And even the underlying tech's almost the same. I want to go back to the beginning because uh, I, I think at some level you have this archetypal origin story and, it, you know, people just love stories like yours. So walk people through the kind of uh, light bulb moment and, and, and how it went from there. You know, I grew up in South Florida um, and I experienced this problem in sort of a really typical, you know, middle-class single family ranch style home that you find down there where the thermostat was on the far side of the house. And of course the bedrooms uh, were pretty, you know, unrelated to what was going on at the thermostat. And as a result, you know, in the morning you'd wake up and you were just sweaty and gross and, you know, at the time, as growing up, I didn't really think about it too much. Uh, but it led up to that light bulb moment because, you know, post uh, school up in Chicago, um, it was on the other side of things where it was just like, okay, how do I stay warm? <laughs> right. Um, and it was the same problem. And one day it was just like, oh, you know, these are the same problem. And if I've seen this problem in South Florida and I've seen this problem in Chicago, maybe it's more universal than I really realized at first. And that was kind of the, the moment where I started thinking, you know, maybe people are really not thinking about air distribution. Um, you know, and of course, this was pre-COVID, where now everybody's thinking about air distribution. Uh, but at the time, it was just like, oh, you know, the thermostat's great. Uh, the underlying heating and cooling equipment is, is great. You need that, and it's important. Um, but the way that all of that heating and cooling gets delivered is also important. And so that was the kind of light bulb moment. That's when we said, yeah, maybe there's an opportunity to just fix this and make it better. And that's that's kind of what got us going. Okay, so now, what year are you in school at this point? This was about a year and a half after I graduated. Oh, so it was after you graduated. So you had, you had finished, I didn't realize that, okay. So you had yep. finished, you went to school at Northwestern. Yep. yep. And you've graduated, and, and like, what are you doing professionally? What's... So, yeah, so I was living in uh, Wicker Park, so like kind of a fun little neighborhood uh, just on the periphery of the most downtown part of Chicago. Uh, and I was biking into work at this little e-commerce startup, building giant crawlers to collect pricing data, uh, things like that all over the web. So I was, I was having a lot of fun with that. And about a year and a half in was when um, really the moment that I started thinking about it the most was like the, the first polar vortex if people remember that. 
uh, where it's <laughs> hard to forget. Um, and, you know, I started thinking about it then, but I had been, even just before that had been leading up, I was like, it seems like I'm just always having this problem in this place. And, and uh, I think that really was like the moment where it really, it just became clear that there had to be a fix. And, uh, and I started kind of monkeying with this apartment I was renting, just renting, just, um, changing the vents a little bit, you know, manually adjusting things. And you couldn't keep up with it. You know, it's not a thing that a human can practically do. So you're changing the vent on a, on a mini split? Yeah. So, so basically most homes in the United States, right, are central forced air, meaning there's, you know, a heating or a cooling system, and then there's ductwork going throughout the building. Um, and, and traditionally that ductwork has been static, meaning, you know, it's sort of going to send air wherever it sends air and there's no dynamicism, no routing, anything like that that was ever built in. But when you look at the, the heating load on a building, it's of course incredibly dynamic, right? You've got the sun moving from one side of the building to another, which is usually one of the biggest thermal loads, especially for cooling. Um, you've got wind, which a lot of people don't realize is actually a huge uh, thermal load because uh, it just wicks heat away, especially in winter. Um, and you've got of course, changing occupancy throughout the day. And so when you sort of add all that up, your needs in terms of distributing heating and cooling are dynamic. Um, but almost every building in the residential space today is built as if it was just this completely static scenario. So, so let's pause because literally, I, I mean, there's not one listener of this podcast who in all likelihood has a system that moves the air around maybe they have Nest or some other th smart thermostat. Right, right. So, so fundamentally what we do is we, we make a smart vent, uh, in fact, a, a variety of them because there are different size vents in, in buildings that drop in and replace a conventional vent that you would find in almost every building. Uh, we tie in with smart thermostats through our integrations, which is pretty, pretty cool. I think speaking to the, maybe the state of the internet of things. Um, and what we do is we balance out the airflow accordingly based on the temperature and, and sort of thermodynamics that are going on as well as the occupancy. So it's a pretty sophisticated room by room control system uh, for central heating and cooling. Uh, that's not the only thing we do. We do a lot of other things, which we can talk about later, but that was the genesis of Flick. So now how does Kenny get involved? Like what happens? Yeah, so, so Kenny, my co-founder and our CTO, um, he was, I was one of his first friends. He's originally from Singapore. Uh, I was one of his first friends at Northwestern right after he touched down. Um, and we, we basically spent time at college building robots together and doing all sorts of cool things like that. You and Kenny got to know each other. He's living in Chicago afterwards or he's gone back to Singapore or? So he was actually over in Seattle working for Microsoft uh, right after college. So he was working on the Skype platform and and he was doing some pretty crazy stuff. He was like offloading video decoding onto dedicated hardware to make your Skype calls work better, you know, crazy things like that. So, so yeah, so, you know, I called him up and I said, Hey, I think this is cool. I, I have a little mechanical design I've been catting in my free time, you know, but I'm going to need some help on the electrical side. Uh, do you know, do you want to work together? We can do it remote. And so we literally built mirrored copies, uh, you know, remotely. Uh, I sent him some, you know, parts, he sent me some parts, we assembled, uh, compared, and, you know, I think the, I guess, sort of wrapped up in all of that was those first few parts, uh, and I think there's not too many companies who can say this, those first few parts actually came from a public library, 
um, the Chicago Public Library had gotten like a grant for a handful of 3D printers. Um, and after work, uh, you know, I would normally work really late because I love what I was building and I was really excited about it. But once I found out they had 3D printers and I sort of was onto this idea of the smart vent, I would leave at like, you know, 5 p.m. sharp and run to the library uh, and just try and make sure I could get some time on the printer so I could get some prototypes built. And it was uh, cool, you know, launching a, a company from a library is I think pretty weird. Uh, all right, so you, you 3D print these things. You guys are shipping FedExes back and forth to Seattle. And how long does it take you to get to some kind of working prototype? Yeah, it's a good question. So the, you know, I would say it took maybe a few months to get to something that sort of worked, right? And, and I think, you know, that's fine. We had gone through a lot of different iterations and attempts and, and ideas, and um, which I, I love that process. I think that was actually a process um, that, you know, I think now I'm very nostalgic about. Um, but yeah, I mean, we effectively built a bunch of different iterations. And then the big thing was we had to build the software, right, to drive this, because at the end of the day, it's an algorithm that decides, you know, here's all the inputs on temperatures and operating conditions that we're seeing. And how do I, you know, how do I adjust the airflow in a way that makes logical sense, doesn't overheat, doesn't overcool, um, you know, it doesn't run the equipment more than it needs to run too, right? And so, so obviously that algorithm has evolved almost every single day since then. Um, but in the beginning, we had, you know, sort of that MVP, that clunky design that sort of worked. Uh, and we had a couple of units, not a ton, but enough that held together, you know, uh, you know, that we could actually test things and collect data. And that was really the starting point. At what point do you decide, maybe we should try and actually create a company out of this? I think when we started getting a little bit of inbound from some early angel investors. Um, I think they, we, we, saw, we set up like this marketing site, you know, really simple template that we found and put a video of our event just, you know, opening and closing just on a loop, right? That was it. Um, and we started getting outreach. Actually, the first group who found us was a group called Urban Us. Um, and they, they just wanted to hop on a call and they wanted to learn about what we were doing. And, and um, you know, we really didn't know a lot about startups, to be honest, at the time. Like, we didn't know anything about starting a business. We didn't know, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I had read my fair share of TechCrunch and whatnot. But ultimately, um, you know, I was, a, I was heads down building software day in and day out. Um, and, and so I think we just started to see that, oh, you know, maybe there's more people interested in this, in this than we thought. Uh, and if we can get even just an inkling of, of funding to start, uh, we might be able to pursue it. And I think once we started seeing that attention build, uh, we said, okay, we think we've got enough saved up from our jobs to, you know, buy us, you know, well, I don't know what it was, six months or whatever to try and, you know, build a little bit more, secure enough money to keep going um, and, and just jump ship and start our own. What's in market now? What is the flare sale? Yeah, so we, we talked about um, obviously the smart vent solution, right? So we really blew that out. We've got four different smart vent sizes. We've got a handful of additional sizes coming out soon. We also build this really cool device called the Puck. It's this, so, you know, people are familiar with Nest smart thermostats, but the Puck is actually a fully wireless smart thermostat, super low power e-ink display, uh, and you can put it in any room. And that complements the smart vents. So you have this smart thermostat that's, you know, small, light, cost-effective, you can put in any room, control the vents, but also 
and this was uh, that moment that Kenny came back and said, come on, Dan, you know, you should know this, was in the process of building the products, we had gone to China and seen the vast number of mini splits, uh, right? What, what people sometimes call ductless heat pumps. Uh, we started to find interesting opportunities around electrification, around grid interoperability, um, around even things like virtual power plants um, and, and sort of, you know, just things that I think um, HVAC and the grid have a lot more uh, that they can do together. Um, but until you've got a baseline product that works, you know, maybe you can't quite look at that. So talk, talk, talk about what you mean here, because it's not lost on me. They're obviously the reason we wanted you to have you on the yeah. 0.01 uh, podcast is that as we speak, air conditioning is a massive, massive uh, cause of, of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and that's just the air conditioning side. Obviously energy is used for heat as well. I think the other thing is the planet is warming and air conditioning is get and countries with, um, you know, significantly developing economies that are close to the equator are going to use a lot more air conditioning. And so we're in a vicious cycle of the climate is warming around the world and we're going to use more and more energy to cool our indoor spaces which leads us to, you know, a, a really an accelerating rate of, of, of emissions. So you're working on a really important problem. So what do you mean when you say, hey, there's some insights we can draw about uh, how the grid could be used more effectively as opposed to just, you know, Aaron, buy this stuff from me and you'll save money on your electric bill. And I want to come to that. Um, but, but, but let's take the first thing first. What have you learned? Yeah, so I think the first is that, you know, a big theme right now in general is this sort of electrification theme, right? That's a huge one. And actually that, that tends to come up, um, and, and at least on our side, more on the heating uh, side of what we do, right? Where people are trying to find ways to get their their fossil fuel heating systems to be more fully electric. And the, the go-to is almost always heat pump systems. Um, but, you know, there's also electrification happening on the supply side of the grid, right? And the, the trick though, is that when you look at the grid in aggregate, you've got these baseline generators, maybe nuclear, right? Which aren't actually inherently high carbon necessarily, but uh, you've also got all the legacy ones that are high carbon. and What's coming online now is obviously solar and battery and things and wind, but those have this effectively this sort of intermittentness baked into them. And when you have that kind of dynamicism on the supply side, it's really important that the demand side can be responsive to that, right? And so there's this whole big industry, uh, you know, a lot of people listening might know, it's called demand response, right? And, and effectively what it is is saying, hey, there's something going on in the grid. Maybe there's too many people looking for, you know, uh, a 68 degree room. And as a result, between that and maybe extreme heat or a uh, cloudy day, uh, there's a problem because we can't supply enough electricity, right? And, and in fact, you saw that uh, this year in California with blackouts, right? It was the first time it had happened in a while. Um, but basically the peak problems on the grid in terms of demand uh, really, it was driven by air conditioning. And as a result, you know, you had the power companies just saying, well, we have to shut down uh, 
power to these places because we don't have enough. Um, and, and I think when you start to look at that, you realize that, okay, if we're going to bring more solar and wind onto the grid, solutions that allow for those types of clean energy supplies um, on the demand side are, are critical, right? There's no way around needing to, to better match the demand and supply on the grid. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a big part of electrification. On the, now, on the heating side, it's a totally different discussion, right? It's a lot of times it's gas and oil heating. Um, and people are just trying to find ways to use heat pumps. That said, you actually have a similar problem where even in winter, um, a lot of regions around the US uh, and, and the world for that matter, um, they have a peak on the grid, just like you do in summer. Uh, and it's because of course, there's a lot of electric heating. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things we're doing right now is, is we're basically leveraging the fact that you've got these, these needs for the grid to bring more value than just making people comfortable and saving on their bills. We're basically enabling a lot of supply side electrification by optimizing the demand side. But how are you doing that exactly? I, I, of course, I, I'm familiar with the problem that the wind, we can't store the wind and solar. So, you know, it's, it, it's very, what, what gets created has to be consumed. And, you know, you can always elect to burn more coal at a coal facility or a coal-based plant or something like that. So, but I don't understand how Flare, how is Flare helping to smooth out demand? That's really what needs to happen, right? Or meet the increased demand. What would Flare do to, uh, I don't know, uh, enable that? So I think the simplest explanation would be, imagine you've got mini splits, um, you know, that are used for heating and cooling in your building. Um, most mini splits today are not sold with any connectivity, right? So it's, the, it's akin to the kind of controls you had like a decade or more ago for Central, right? Pre-Nest, pre-Ecobee, pre-Smart, right? Um, and so what we do is we provide this instant upgrade that's really nice for a user to use, really intuitive, easy, um, and makes that equipment instantly, you know, grid ready and responsive. And then what, what it actually looks like is the utility sends what, what's effectively almost the bat signal to us, right? And, um, and we, we see this demand response signal that says, hey, we need to cut demand. And we look at everybody who's running their ACs. Presumably these customers have already opted into this program. And we say, hey, there's a peak event. We're gonna change your set point if we're in a, a cooling context. Instead of maybe at, you know, 68, where you're like keeping your bedroom really cold, maybe we're going to set it to 75, right? And we're going to do that for a couple hours. Uh, and that is the sort of mechanism that allows for the grid to deal with these peak problems. How does Flare drive growth now? I mean, is it, is it happening at the consumer level? Are people finding your, you know, are, they, are, are people who care about saving money on their energy bill, looking around for solutions, finding you through search? Uh, is it done through contractors building you guys in from the beginning? What, what are the different ways that Flare has been able to scale some revenue here? So the, the bulk of the business has actually, and I think this is a real strength of ours, the bulk of the business has been built on just the inherent desire for homeowners to be more comfortable. And, you know, I think we have a really unique set of offerings there. Um, and, and so 
you know, the majority of what we've done is we're actually sneaking energy benefits into a convenience and quality of life improvement, uh, which I think is great. I mean, and, and we had this great advisor early on who just their, their main advice was, you know, a lot of people aspirationally like the idea of energy saving, but when it comes to spending money on heating and cooling, the thing that moves the needle is comfort. And I, that, that was just fantastic wisdom that we heard early enough in this whole process. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so, you know, I think the consumer business drives a lot of our growth and our scale, but what's happened is as we've captured a lot of that growth and grown into it, um, you know, we've had the opportunity to then venture out and go, you know, play in the professional contractor realm and to start engaging with utilities and scaling in these additional channels. And so, you know, I think when you look at the, the business at large, you know, it's really hard to get a business from that 3D printed prototype to distributing through utilities, right? I mean, that's, that's a big leap and you probably have to get there in small steps. And so it, the, the path of least resistance for us was definitely to build a consumer-friendly product, professional grade, but, you know, certainly consumer-friendly pricing and value. If I have oil heating, if I live in the Northeast and I have oil heating, instead of ripping out the oil heating system and like, you know, gutting the house and putting in a centralized HVAC system, this is a workaround. What are the other components of the workaround? Yeah, so I think that's a, a good starting point. The when you think about the Northeast, you know, there's four million homes that are using oil boilers, right? Meaning they've got some giant thing in their basement. Uh, there's a truck that comes and fills up a 275 gallon tank of oil a few times a year, um, and you've got yeah, if, if, yeah, more if it's cold, you know, less if it's a little warmer or milder, and. And then you've got either fin tubes or what they call hydronic, right? Or you've got radiators throughout your house. Um, and what happens is that's sort of been how people have heated these homes for decades and decades and decades. Um, so they don't have ducting, right? We talked about the smart vents. Obviously, those goes into ducting. Um, so central air is an incredibly expensive retrofit in this case. Uh, but, but ductless mini splits, you know, their strength is you can punch a three inch hole in the wall, um, mount the outdoor unit, the indoor units, and boom, you've got a really nice room by room heat pump system, right? But the limitations here are that, you know, heat pump systems with some exceptions, but overwhelmingly, they don't really work as well as it gets cold right? Both their efficiency and their efficacy change. Um, and so if you look at what, you know, we're doing, what we're doing is we're tying together these two totally different pieces of, of heating and cooling technology, right? And then optimizing based on what's the most effective time to use the heat pump. And then when that's really not as effective, flipping over to this, you know, legacy system that, you know, in an ideal world, we wouldn't need. Dan, let's tell people where to find Flair because I have to imagine some sales are going to come out of this. I, I certainly hope so. I didn't get to talk yeah. to you about my own house in Westport where I'd probably need like a, a fair number <laughs> of pucks and vents. Um, but uh, where can people find Flair? So the best place to find us is right at our you know online store, which is Flair.co. 
you can not only, you know, find our products and information about them there, but you can also just talk to us. You know, we actually love to talk to our customers and learn what they're trying to do and solve and, and you know, be helpful. I think one of the, the biggest investments we've made is in is support, because I think that that's a place where you can really uh, just change an experience, um, you know, for the better with just really simple things, right? Which is just good customer service. So um, you can find us there, but we're, of course, we're on Amazon, we're on homedepot.com, we're on Lowe's, uh, we will be on Lowe's shortly. Uh, so, you know, any of your favorite sort of channels, you can find us, uh, but we always love people to come talk to us on our site. Um, so for those listeners out there that are spending, you know, $200 a month on electricity, they can make a multi-hundred dollar and maybe a two, $300 investment in Flare, uh, depending yeah. on what they try to accomplish and conceivably get all of that money back in the first six months to a year and have a more comfortable environment. I mean, it's a no brainer to buy it, right? I mean, that, and, and you're doing a nice thing for the environment and it's good for you. Yeah, especially the, the one that we see all the time that you know we kind of, you hate to see it in the one sense that it means that people have been living with these houses for a long time uh, inefficiently, but you love to see it as a solution provider is when people are overheating their, you know, one side of their house to get the other side comfortable or overcooling to get the other side comfortable. Uh, we just fix that and it's instant. And I actually, it was, it was amazing. We had this TechCrunch article come out this morning and they described it as magic. Um, and uh, that's, that's the best, right? and, that's the greatest thrill you can have as a creator of a startup to be magic. Yeah. Congratulations yeah, to you. Definitely. Uh, Dan yeah. Myers, you really have a 0.01 company here. I, I, we, we talk all the time on this podcast about how we need tens of thousands of companies to get to a hundred companies who might truly make a difference. And, you know, this is one that really, like if it could get to really significant scale could make a huge, huge impact in the, um, ability to stanch greenhouse gas emissions to slow down global warming. So thank you for being with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise, I'm really glad to have uh, shared our story and I, I'm excited to put a big dent in, in climate change. I think we can. If you want to stay up to date with Flare, you can find them online at flare.co or on Twitter at Flare. The Point of One podcast is presented by Therma, a smart refrigeration monitoring company. To follow along with Therma's clean cooling initiatives and Point of One content, Find us on Twitter at HelloTherma and at Point01Podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or on the web at climate.hellotherma.com.